0: Once you're pretty sure that there's something there, there are two really important reasons why you wanna just jump in and throw away the crutches. One of them is obviously bandwidth. The other one is more you know, psychological and human behavior that if you're doing something else like doing some consulting on the side, if the startup's not working, there's a way to sort of quietly have that toned down and lean into the other thing. And if you're fully in it, there's no hiding, right? If it works, that's great. If it doesn't, then,
1: Hello, hello. I can't tell you how excited I am because we today have a great guest, a fantastic guest for episode 74, season six. So today we have the pleasure of speaking with David Heliwell, the co-founder of Thrive Health. Thrive Health is a software company on a mission to make healthcare work better for everyone. They empower patients and families in their healthcare journey, support providers in delivering excellent care, and enable healthcare systems to become more efficient. We all need that. On top of this, David has over a decade of experience in the energy and technology sectors, including co founding Pulse Energy in 2006 and growing it to have over 1 million businesses from around the world on its platform. He took a one year sabbatical with his family after the company was sold in 2014. And prior to Pulse Energy, David was on the Director of Policy to Cabinet Minister Stephen Owen and ran around Mexico and northern Canada as an exploration geophysicist. Ian, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thanks for having me, Chris. Good to see you.
1: Oh, we're going to have some fun. We're going to have some fun. Well, you know what? Let's just get right into it. Can you tell me the origin story of Thrive Health? Sure.
0: Well, the idea for Thrive Health, actually came on a stand-up paddleboard i was uh just off uh, off the shores of west vancouver uh with greg kerfoot who i'd started a previous company with and we were talking about you know just the scale of problems in the healthcare system and the lack of a clear path forward from a technology perspective and you know no incumbents big problem uh spending increasing really fast and so we agreed that it was something that would be really interesting to tackle from a patient's perspective. So what can you do with technology to empower patients that's going to make the system work better? And so we had all these ideas that we'd talk about, you know, once we got back to shore and we we're just having ongoing conversations that... Most of the conversations would end with me saying, "I you know I got to check with my, with my brother because my brother James, cardiac anesthesiologist, yeah. uh, who is also CEO of his own uh, biotech company called Impraxia, Right. Uh, actually, he might be a fun guest on this show too.
1: We do um, brothers.
0: Yeah, because because you know how nice it is to do business with uh, with siblings. Oh yes. And, uh, so. And he'd come from the physician perspective and the health system perspective. And, you know, most of the ideas we had, he said, no, the doctors would hate it, the system would hate it. But we we ended up zeroing in on, you know, some elements that empowered patients while also making life better for physicians. Uh-huh. And so we started uh, just locally at St. Paul's Hospital uh, with a hand surgery clinic who was getting, uh, and we happily, two tall totems built our first uh <laughs> Built our first iPhone app to to test out the idea. Way back in and the day, <laughs> what it what, what it did was you know, we found that only fifteen percent of people coming to see the hand surgeon uh, after the after the first visit only fifty percent turned out to need hand surgery. Wow. So and they can wait for nine months to have that first meeting to say you actually need to go to a physiotherapist. Then so it turns out a lot of the things can be done electronically and remotely and asynchronously yep. to you know, take people out of those lineups to get them faster to where
1: they want to go. So that's how it started. And it's just snowballed from there. So it started from a paddleboard idea into this, which is, which is incredible. Should all, I mean, there's nothing more West Vancouver or Vancouver than starting a business idea on a paddleboard, is there? (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm amazed. Well, you know, I get a lot of people approaching me, um, young, young founders who are talking about wanting to work in the medical field. And you know, I always tell them there's a lot of challenges, just like like education, for example, where there's a long sales cycle, or there's you know a lot of people that want to trial something first, or may or may not, um, you know, move forward. Is there a strategy or an idea that you can maybe you know suggest on how to kind of break that egg faster? Uh, well, we're still working on it.
0: I'll tell you. I mean, but honestly, the one thing that broke that egg faster was was COVID. Uh, and that just changed the rules for everything. I mean, we Mm -hmm. did a, a deal with health Canada in about 10 days that they told us would have normally taken 18 months, uh, you know, in the early days of COVID. So, but barring that, um, it's a, it's for sure a challenge, right? You got to have your eyes open to it, whether it's, I mean, it's slower in Canada than in the U S but it is slow everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you got to have the combination of patience and funding for sure to wow. slug it out for a for a long time um but you also need to keep that urgency of you know keeping things keeping things moving and just always be looking for ways to move things faster and not just use the slowness as an excuse to not push because uh. Uh, that can make it even slower but unfortunately wow. no silver
1: bullets that we've discovered. Oh, that's, a, that's a question I get so often. So uh, it would, it, that yeah. would be a billion, billion dollar answer right there, especially in Canadian yeah. healthcare. Well, yeah. you mentioned, you're talking about the, the COVID-19 app and I know you did, you, you know, you talked about uh, talking with uh, Health Canada about that and, uh, you know, so you built um, BC's official COVID app. And I remember when I saw it, I saw Thrive Health on there and we were all talking about how that was your company and yeah, you know, we were really proud of it because uh, we knew the right person was making it. To be honest, but can you tell me about the experience of you know? I mean, you said it was the shortest time to do it. What was it like to 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 get such an important application in people's hands so quickly?
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was definitely quite a ride, and it was interesting because you know it never could have happened if we hadn't had the two years of things that had happened before then. Because <laughs> you know, just the timing of when the company had started um we'd already had this whole idea going and technology behind it and relationships within the healthcare system you know including you know health authorities the BC Ministry of Health Health Canada had done a project with us on a uh, on a pilot level they'd funded some work that that we'd done in in BC so we really had that platform of technology and relationships to move really fast with. so And I still remember yeah, it was March the 4th, we had a meeting with uh, with Adrian Dix, the health yeah. minister in BC, um, and it was supposed to be about something else, but COVID just, you know, we think we probably all remember that, you know, in those couple weeks around there, things were ramping up pretty fast. So, yeah. you know, found found ourselves, uh, you know, in Adrian Dix's office with Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer, the and that something had to happen right away. And we said, well, here's an idea for how... You know how it could happen on the platform that you know it's already being used for other things and they said let's let let's go for it and it was enough of a just organic success it wasn't publicized it really was just word of mouth that got it out there um you know it became the number one health app in canada within a a week or so and health canada said hey this is great we want to do something that every province and territory can opt into and coordinate it federally, which, you know, as you probably know, doesn't happen very often. No. Health Canada usually, um, you know, they'll they'll be involved in distributing money like they have, you know, like they have been early this year, um, but it was pushing out of their comfort zone from a Health Canada perspective to, to do this, uh, but it allowed, you know, every province and territory to have a starting point that was saving them a lot of time. So it was great you know, really exciting to be a part of it. And especially mm-hmm. for the first month or six weeks where, you know, everybody was working together and we had, you know, to have a technology product with millions of users and no trolls mm-hmm. uh, was amazing, mm-hmm. right? There, there, there was just everybody saying, oh, this is so great and thank you so much. And, uh, you know, in the early days, especially, it wasn't a particularly complex thing, but it, you mm-hmm. know, it worked. It, you know, analyzed your symptoms, tells you what, what your guidance is based on where you are and who you are. Uh, so very aligned with our, you know, with, with with our mission and and what we're all about, but it was just so nice to have this time of people, you know, getting along, and then we were doing surveys of hundreds of thousands of people on the on the apps and about what they cared about most and what they wanted to do. And mm-hmm. uh, so not surprising, the number one thing is, you know, what do I need to do? And what do my family members need to do based on our symptoms? Because that's what it was for. But mm-hmm. the next thing after that was people wanting to know what they could do to help other people, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is really cool. And to be a part of that uh, was was great, uh, you know, from a. You know just a working hours perspective I mean the whole company from the start of March uh, until Victoria Day we weren't actually able to shut down for a weekend oh, wow. uh, so people were getting days off here and there but I remember Victoria Day was the first time we were able to say okay have a good weekend and see you on Tuesday I'm off. Uh, well, so that's... that was you know that was a long stretch and then hiring all those people remotely and you know most of the people at Thrive have started since since Covid, so it's that's been an interesting way to you know grow a business.
1: That that is, I mean, that's that's amazing and such an important application for 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 you know so many people running around chaotically in confusion and helping them. Well, you know, one one, and this is again going to touch on it. I think because I think the health care industry is a difficult sell and i and i just want to you know and I, and I think this is a unique experience towards that sell um but when you were dealing with other provinces or were, were there certain gotchas or anything that you had to worry about or something that you learned that maybe would translate to a non-pandemic time so a gotcha is it a good gotcha or a bad gotcha it could be any gotcha you want
0: i don't know i was assuming a gotcha being a uh, <laughs> you know a, a, a bad gotcha but um so, things that translate. I mean, you know, one thing, not surprisingly, is the relationships. And just because <laughs> when you're, and I'm sure we all have these experiences from COVID, right? Of people who you met during COVID, there's some sort of crisis that you're dealing with together. Uh-huh. That does forge, uh, you know, a certain type of relationship and a and a certain amount of trust that Ooh. can carry on to to doing to doing other things. Uh-huh. Um, so that, that's probably the number one, right? There just, there's this network of people around the country and, you know, some of them are moving around to other positions, um, which are also, you know, related, uh, which is, which has been really helpful. Um, and then just you know, reputationally more broadly that all of a sudden, cause we are pretty small, right? And during COVID, we went from 10,000 users to 10 million users, wow. uh, which is, you know, pretty big, uh, pretty big difference. <laughs> um, and so just having that awareness of okay you know you're you're a real company um another thing that made it a lot easier was we did and you know, we we went very quickly through a lot of privacy security accessibility um hurdles mm-hmm. uh, that we did that you know nationally and provincially that so it's now made it much easier to you know it's more like box checking mm-hmm. uh, to have that and it made us be, um especially, you know, six to 12 months in, it made us really have to act more like a big grown-up company uh, mm. in a lot of those ways than the scrappy startup with everything being done off the sides of desks. For sure. Because um, that's a big thing for healthcare, obviously, right? There's mm-hmm. no margin for error for, no, process, for process, messing process. up with data privacy, security, uh, you know, real or perceived problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, that's sort of a hodgepodge, but Oh, the, 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 those are the those have been the big
1: uh, boosts that we've gotten from our work with you know the provinces and territories. Wow, well, that's awesome. I mean, what what an what an amazing way of you know a call of action that's so important yet you know really responding with a, with a product that really matters and, and uh, yeah, listens well, too. Yeah, well, and
0: yeah, well, and what was interesting was so we did the government stuff. um, but then there were a lot of others who needed things as well, especially when, you know, with, with rapid testing and vaccine mandates and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff coming. So we ended up having a great partnership with CDL, uh, Mm -hmm. the the creative destruction lab Mm -hmm. where, so it's funny because, you know, I'm a mentor there and (laughs) I do angel investing through, through the, through CDL and it's a great program, but the reason we were brought into CDL to be the technology provider for this rapid antigen testing, Program they launched across the country was the CTO from Air Canada who uh-huh. told them, "Hey, we're using Thrive for our stuff. Cdl, you need to use it as, the, relationships, as the relationships,
1: relationships,
0: relationships." Well, yeah. So, 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 so that was neat uh, that it you know that it happened that way, and then that right. kind of snowballed. So we had most of the big banks, telcos, insurance companies running our platform, natural resources companies. Uh, most of the big universities in the country and uh, Life Labs used us for you know all their new COVID products that were coming out. So with all these things, I mean, yes, there's commercial stuff, but there's also really interesting stuff to build on the
1: platform, and then uh, and then just yeah the ongoing relationships. Well, for sure, and and I think that's really interesting too that you know they they that that you know it got I guess not funded, but there was direction to the CDL, just just like how there's 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 these bodies who are very Canadian you know, the CDL being one, the the, the supercluster, I'll say is another. And it's interesting how the government got to fund things in a way that I guess maybe it's a little bit more trusted because it's going through a private public channel. Um, and I think it's a very Canadian attitude. I mean, these bodies exist and then they use those to, um, you know, they leveraged the relationships are already created to, 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 to help push trusted companies like yourself. Do you think do you think something like that would have happened in in, in America, where it's a little bit more, uh, you know, ev- everyone everyone's kind of sh- for themselves? Or do you think, you know, being Canadian has definitely helped out? Yeah. So I mean,
0: so so on the yeah, it's, I, I can say yes, it's helped in Canada for <laughs> for sure. I'm trying to think of examples that I saw in the U.S. I mean, with CDL, um, we were looking at doing some similar things in the U.S. that ended mm-hmm. up not not panning out um and it's hard to say why you know whether it's because of the reasons that you were mentioning or also it was just a it was you know three months later in the pandemic too and you know so Mm -hmm. things were sort of different um but nothing like what we did with cdl happened in the us uh, and it's hard to say sure i I guess crystal ball i'm not sure i'm not sure why but for sure it's it's characteristically canadian i'd
1: say to come together can you tell me a little bit about pulse energy and the founding of that
0: yeah well that was um, so that was 2006 uh-huh. when uh, I would just being uh, I mean I like to say I was fired because uh, it it's more it's more fun but I, I was the before that I'd been the director of policy for a cabinet minister in Ottawa um, <laughs> And uh, the government fell, so my job disappeared because my boss was no longer a, a cabinet minister. So I got uh, about nine months of severance pay after three and a half years of of working there, and uh, with no vacations. And uh, so then, I, I really wanted to do a company, you know, like with Thrive. I, it was I wanted to do a mission driven technology company that was really going to change mm-hmm. the world. Um, so I I met up with. Uh, four or five people who had become mentors through my job, uh, because my my Ottawa job was awesome. I became the point guy for clean tech at the time. We called it environmental technologies in the federal government. And so got to know the who's who of environmental technologies around the country. And I sort of became, you know, I, I brought together a lot of them to do some things. And you know, one of my little projects was I started the, what's now the Office of Green and Government, and it's still alive, sur- survived the last, uh, you know, 18 years or so. Amazing. Um, so that was just to give a sense, you know, that, that's how I was wired and the sort of stuff I wanted to do. <laughs> so I met with a whole bunch of people who I thought had really interesting things uh, to to say for advice, um, you know, and and most of them are, you know, well-known BC on, entrepreneurs, Um So, one's Rob Safrata, who had he started Novex Couriers, and he did Eagle Quest Golf, golf courses, and he owns all the tour buses in Vancouver now, pretty much. Just a he was a crazy Canuck uh, skier for you know Super G and stuff. So he had great advice. He continues to be a good friend and mentor. Milton Wong um, was really helpful. Although, funnily enough. He his advice to me was do a health tech company. Uh, <laughs> he, saw as, feature. he saw the future. He <laughs> saw the future. Yeah, and I told Faye his wife about that when we started Thrive, uh, <laughs> and after Milt had died, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he really was focused on you know the aging population, and you know he helped the, you know Ken Sim and his partner to start Nurse Next Door at about <laughs> the same time, and so we're sort of in that same generation of people getting helped by by Milt. Mm-hmm. Um, Another one was uh, Masada um, Kumadali, who was, you know, chair of uh, um, a bunch of clean tech company. You know, he, he was one of the bosses at Ballard Power and yeah. uh, a company. Another company was sold to Schneider Electric, chair at BC Hydro, and you know, he he had his advice. I asked one, and his advice was actually to go and get a job with a company uh, in Victoria that was in the clean tech space and learn yeah. for a couple of years. Uh, And then do something. And Uh a couple years after I got that advice, the CEO of that company called me wanting a job at Pulse Energy, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was was funny. So I guess I made the right call. Um, And then and then the one who was the most impactful. Two of the most impactful were John McDonald, um, who was one of the co-founders of McDonald Atwiler, so big space company, and I'd gotten to know him quite well, and he. He was helpful through the years, uh, and also he died a few years ago, unfortunately, but um, he was really helpful in getting getting the company going and positioning and how to work with governments and that sort of stuff. And then the one who was, had a totally different approach was Greg Kerfoot, who started Crystal Decisions, and I'd gotten to know him in my politics job because he was trying to build a soccer stadium in downtown Vancouver, <laughs> and we just clicked. We we, we both into windsurfing. We just liked one another and so we sort of stayed in touch. So we went out for lunch and during the lunch he said, well, Why don't you just move into my office? Uh, you know, in Thunderave in West Vancouver and we'll bounce around ideas. And so I, you know, we had no idea. I just wanted to do something in clean tech. Uh-huh. And uh, so my first day in the office, uh, right, and a bunch of, you know, CEOs of successful companies uh, in Vancouver, uh, and founders of other companies, uh worked in that office at one time, wow. uh, because at at Pulse. And uh, but when it was just me, I had this you know whiteboard, a desk, a phone, uh, and just came in and you know wrote wrote a to do list on the whiteboard, and I didn't have anything on it yet.
1: <laughs> Found Pulse, Cell Pulse. There yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: no, but Cell was not like You know, I I recognize that's what usually happens, but that was not, it was not a pump and dump strategy, Um, but it was, and then, you know, it took us a few months and we got to the, for me, the energy guy, because a lot of my career had been in the energy space and Greg, the software guy, let's do energy software Uh because we looked at a lot of other things. Um, And then once we had that, um, you know, it was a nine, nine year journey. But we ended up becoming the you know, the leaders in our little niche of uh, you know commercial building energy efficiency, and we had the biggest utilities in the U.S., UK, and Canada on the you know as as customers. Um,
1: so it was it was it was a great definitely a great ride. And that's amazing. Well, you know, I want to talk. You know, you said you don't think about the acquisition part. Uh, you know, it's nine nine years nine years of a journey to to get there. But one thing that always intrigues me about acquisitions is I always want to know. Because you were you were acquired by VP Utility Solutions, but did you have a relationship with them beforehand, or did they come out of nowhere? Like was it a kick the tires? Hey, we really like what you're doing, or was it a hey, we just want to acquire? Like we just come out of nowhere. So
0: yeah, so we were actually acquired by a company called uh, Enernac, out of Boston, which was a publicly traded uh, demand response company. and then Enernoc, after shortly after they purchased us, they were purchased by mm-hmm. the uh, national utility from Italy called mm-hmm. NLX um, and then and then and then the pulse bit was sold to a big facility management company out of uh, called Yardi out of, uh, oh, wow. out of the so as you know as happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the company Enernoc that we actually did the deal with, uh, we'd been looking at them since we were tiny because yeah. uh, they were the only publicly traded comp company um, that that we could look at just to see, even though their business was kind of different, but they were looking at the sort of stuff that, that, that we were doing. So their business is shutting things off um, to save power at peak times and right. selling that saved power back to the utility so they yeah. don't have to j- generate new power. Um, there's a neat there's an economist article called "Selling It by the Megawatt," uh-huh. uh, so megawatt, but with an "n" at the start. That's about the pulse energy um, uh, Enronok deal. Um, Love And that. so in that, uh, so we we'd known them for a while, and so the trigger for what made things get going for a bunch of companies wanting to talk to us about uh, an acquisition was. We signed a really big deal with British Gas, so yeah. BG, um, in in the UK, which had actually come from some intros with a competitor of BG's during the Olympics, because yeah. they came over to to visit. Uh, and we did a lot of hospitality that was organized by the province, especially um, uh-huh. during the Olympics, and we got to know these people from a different UK utility that led to this opportunity with with British Gas and when we closed the deal it was the biggest deal that had ever happened in our in our space amazing um and it and it definitely you know it made some headlines around the world in our little <laughs> microcosm um so that's where <clears throat> you know people put their head up and noticed so we had Enerdoc um you know there was some interest from SAP Siemens was most interested uh Google uh was you know where, really? where, they said the next Google's the only one that actually said no. They said, oh. look, next week, either you're going to meet with Larry or we're going to say no. So we were sort of at that at that mm. stage. Um, so it was an interesting time. Wow. And and to get to the next level um, would have taken probably hundreds of millions of dollars of new investment and was not a sure thing. But... Uh you know, it's because there's been quite a lot of shakeup in that in that market. Mm-hmm. So we thought we thought the time was right.
1: It definitely sounds like the time is right, and I'm I'm going to quote your LinkedIn title here, okay? Because I love this so much. And this is this is post acquisition here. Dad, husband, coach, sherpa, cook, dishwasher, and volunteer. Tell me about your adventure to Moria
0: yes uh it's a, it's a little island uh near tahiti in french polynesia and uh it's just it, it's it's amazing there we uh, we had a house on a lagoon with a big property and you know banana trees and mango and papaya trees and uh you know i was on the water twice a day cuz i you know i was paddling surf ski and outrigger and surfing and snorkeling and kite surfing and surfing and just everything. Um, the kids went to local schools nice. where, you know, a lot of the kids don't wear shoes. Uh, I think they all have some sort of shoe at some point, but, <laughs> um, my wife played on the local men's soccer team. Wow! Uh, and, and uh, just, yeah, it's, it's really amazing. And the Polynesian people are incredible. And we just, they welcomed us into their, into their little community. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty, pretty special.
1: An amazing adventure and you know sometimes i guess when you when you worked hard and long at something like nine years of pulse energy that's a time to celebrate with the family and to to, yeah. to learn who you are and uh, to think about the next journey which well, exactly I, I and, it did.
0: yeah and it was it was really important and it's such a special time for the for the whole family and you know because i really had not been present like the year before that i traveled about a quarter million miles and was not home that much and. <sighs> you know for basically i like had been super elite for too long with with Air Canada mm-hmm. um so yeah it was it was good cuz you know, you don't get a second shot with uh, with <laughs> the kids
1: growing up I, I definitely hear you there. I definitely hear you there. Well, you told me a little bit about, you know, working as the, um, with, uh, the, the cabinet minister, Stephen Owen, um, but I just want to, just want to touch on one question, which is how much does government work differ from just the typical business world, like the, the, the private world? I mean, was it a big switch for you?
0: Yeah. Uh, so yes, it was a big switch because, you know, before, you know, immediately before I was living in Paris as a strategy consultant with a, with a big global consulting firm and Before that, yeah, you mentioned the mining exploration and oil and gas exploration. I was also a professional windsurfer, mixed in with that, traveling around the world, getting my butt kicked by the best windsurfers in the world. Um, But so, yes, it was different. Uh, Is there so much lingo to learn and just the way things work in in government? Like, I didn't. I was a political staffer, but I didn't know the difference between a bureaucrat, which is you know a civil servant in the bureaucracy and a political staffer who you know it's ah uh, they they're, we're called exempt staff. There are different rules for for exempt staff, and mm-hmm. uh, terms of how you get hired and outside of the seniority things and you're not unionized. So there's that mechanical stuff. Um, but really, when it comes to, you know it's still dealing with people. it's still trying to bring ideas to action. It's trying to find all the pieces to to make things happen i'm a big believer in people spending time in government and outside of government yeah. i th- i think it's definitely worth a tour of duty before going in i said okay i'm going to do a minimum of two years and a maximum of four Live was it. the and it ended up being three and a half and you know i told my boss that uh even if you know whether we won or lost the election i was going to leave after the election with you know one asterisk like if he got Foreign affairs. If they won the election well, and he got foreign affairs, that's a portfolio I'd really like to spend a bit of time in. But yeah. otherwise, um, that was the that was the deal. Um, I, and people inside government need to get outside of government too. Yeah, and that I think that's even more important
1: for sure. Well, do you think you know the the fact that you had to go through? I, mean, I just want to touch again on the the, the 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 chaotic time of when you're dealing with the, the the COVID app and all that. But do you think that the the fact that you understood. Um, how government works even in this you know hyper sped up form did that really help when you had just talk the talk um to these ministers and understand their limitations and all that was that was that really helping inform it
0: yeah well to the ministers yes but most of the time you're not talking to ministers you're talking not even talking to deputy ministers you're talking to assistant deputy ministers who are really the bosses who run the show in government and you know directors general and directors and managers, you know, just all the way down. So for sure, understanding their reality was really, I mean, there's just one story (laughs) when I was inside government and, you know, I did a lot of work with the deputy ministers and assistant deputy ministers and director generals. And I had, it was with two or three of them who I'd worked with for, I don't know whether it was sick I'd probably been working with them for a year at this point. We knew knew one another well. We'd been through a bunch of battles together and mm-hmm. talked something through. Okay, there's this, this, and it seemed pretty clear that the next step was gonna be one or ex. And uh, and we all agreed. And and I said, Okay, well let's just do that. And then it was quiet. And then one of them put his arm across his belly and buckled over, laughing <laughs> just <laughs> at the mere suggestion of just doing it. They just <laughs> like, Oh
1: it doesn't work that way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And anyway, so I still challenge that. You know, there are things they can do that they don't think they
1: can. But. Yeah. So, so, so here's one question I like to ask And When, when do you run for prime minister yourself?
0: Not, it's not going to happen for for a few reasons. It, uh, but did Did you want to enumerate my those My wife reasons? has no interest in it. It's, ah. uh, and
1: yeah, good excuse to go back to Moria after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay we'll we'll, uh, we'll 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 leave that we know before- well, actually yeah although yeah politically the
0: in moria the house we were renting on the lagoon was owned by the mistress of the president of oh, wow.
1: Polynesia. <laughs> how did you find that out he told us after you know after a few months uh, wow i just <laughs> yeah that's that's amazing. Like I've got, I've got yeah. nothing more to say, but that's amazing. Yeah. That is, that is incredible. Well, you know, I've got, a, I've got another quote that that I really enjoyed from doing doing my research, uh, whether poor huh. or good. My research, all the same, was I split my time between exploring for gold and diamonds in Mexican deserts and northern Canada, and doing 3D inversion mo- modeling at the office in Vancouver. Learned how to avoid poisonous insects, carry heavy equipment up mountainsides, and fix machines and computers when they broke down in the wilderness. I got here now. Tell me about the years of as an exploration geophysicist. uh, Well, that was funny that, uh, I mean, it's a great thing
0: to do for a while um, and uh, definitely not something that was planned. So, I mean, the way I ended up becoming a geophysicist was I studied geophysics in university. uh, Makes sense. But I only did geophysics in university because I took one course that was interesting. So I was... um, I I was a visiting undergraduate for a year at at Harvard, and I took this geophysics and planetary science course that was really cool. It was applying physics and math to how solar systems worked and how planets worked. I thought it was cool. (laughs) So I said, I want to do geophysics. And at the time, if I talked to anybody for, you know, thinking of career planning and stuff at the time, which would have been 1992 um there was no work for geophysicists they were getting <laughs> fired by the oil and gas companies fired by the mining companies and i didn't even know you know i didn't even think through to that's where geophysicists worked uh-huh. um but if i'd asked advice for any ex so-called experts they would have said do something else because there's no work in geophysics but of course you know two or three years later when i graduated there were no geophysicists graduating like you know F- 10th as many as there had been 10 years before sort of thing. Uh And there were lots of jobs again. So I just got sucked into, um, Amoco Canada, which is now part of BP. Um, and, uh, so there, uh, you know, I was, I started as a a summer, summer intern and then extended it, but I wasn't ready to stay in an office yet. So that's when I took off for Australia to do my windsurfing, my first boat promo windsurfing tour and i was doing the geophysics field work uh you know in parallel with the windsurfing so i'd Mm -hmm. go to australia or hawaii or the caribbean and do the windsurfing thing and then i'd go to the bush for geophysics and so what was neat with the geophysics is yeah it's using basically we'd have generators and pump electricity into the ground and then have sensors out for several kilometers to Mm -hmm. measure how the electricity travels through the ground so really simple stuff at the surface because uh, you just have a big generator you have a crew of you know between four and 15 people depending on what sort of measurements you're taking you, right. you know you run the crew with your radios and just turn the generator on and off through the day and tell people where to put the put the little the little pots to take the measurements and then at night you run computer models to determine what's under the ground and send that back to the mining companies so they can determine where to drill, drill their test holes and eventually where to make a mine. So wow. it's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating and, you know, living in, in little camps and you know, I, my favorite times for sure would have been in Mexico. And, you know, I, I learned to speak Spanish in about two weeks and, uh, <laughs> and it, but it was great. Just the guys on the crew were amazing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just being in these little villages and being so
1: welcomed, amazing. it was amazing. Yeah, that was, Amazing. that was great. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going, um, my, my daughter's uh, 16 going on 30, but she's uh, 16 right now and I'm having the conversations daily about universities and which one, you know, she should go to because uh, she, she's honestly just destroying me by mentioning small ones in New Brunswick when she has, you know, 93% average because I think she wants to to, to prod me in, in in the ribs around. I'm like, the best one you can possibly go to. Just whatever that one is, go to the best one. But you, I see, went to my alma mater, UBC, L'école de Pont which I assume is in France and Harvard how do these universities contrast and compare That's a good question and
0: um so with all three of them um so so the uh, the École de Pont, that's a it's a 250-year-old two, engineering school that has a, a an MBA program um so you know it's it's you know, it's, it's positioning in France is kind of like an MIT, but it's it's not it's not quite an MIT. There's another one that would probably be the MIT, but it's it's that sort of a thing. Your penteflage. Um, mm-hmm. And so, with all of them, I found I ended up with a peer group of you know great people who went on to do really neat things. Um, <laughs> the big difference between say Harvard and UBC, um, that I found. So at, at Harvard, you kind of take out the bottom half of what you get at UBC, mm-hmm. right? So you, you just don't get any or very many at all of those sort of bottom half people. And then you get a few more of the off the chart brainiacs, just mm-hmm. like in a whole different dimension. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to get an overrepresentation representation of them. um, you know, prof-wise, uh, I mean, they all have huge classes and small classes. A nice thing for me in geophysics was it was a lot of small classes, mm-hmm. you know, in both schools. It was, you know, as small as five people and up to 20 sort of thing, so really <laughs> small. Good relationships with the profs and the TAs, and, you know, I found that with with, with all of them. Um, you know, certainly a much more global um student population especially at the times I was there so you know early 90s for UBC and Harvard and late 90s for Lake des pont uh UBC wasn't as international then as it is mm. as it is now um yeah. so that was lacking but I don't I wouldn't say it's lacking now.
1: I, yeah. I hear you I hear oh. you I just wish I wish my daughter would choose a UBC you know but uh yeah. we'll see we'll oh no, mines uh,
0: mine's off first year McGill now so it's uh, mechanical engineering
1: good to hear maybe they'll become friends because i think that's where she'll yeah. probably end up too and you know what i'd be i'd be just as proud of that so that yeah. that's fantastic well you know um the, the afternoon tea podcast we have you know a, a theme here which is to to speak to wonderful founders of canadian companies like yourself in order to expedite the journey of the next generation and i always have these two questions i ask and uh um you know i'm really excited about uh where 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 you're going to go with it? But the first one is, can you share one piece of advice to help younger Canadian founders?
0: Sure. Um, so yeah, I guess my piece of advice is something that I heard from Greg Turfoot, who's been my co-founder in in the two in the two startups. Um, when I was looking at starting uh, Pulse Energy, um, and it was to throw away the crutches and just dive into it you know with 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 both jump in with both feet and the idea there is because a lot of people will found something on the side of their desk and and it's kind of safe and I'm not saying you shouldn't start that way like for the first little bit because it's in it you know it's a sensible way to feel it out but once you're pretty sure that there's something there There are two really important reasons why you want to just jump in and throw away the crutches. Uh Um, One of them is obviously bandwidth, right? And having your whole self there, it's going to mean you're more likely to come up with the stuff. The other one is more, you know, psychological and human behavior that if you're doing something else, like, you know, doing a master's on the side or doing some other thing or doing some consulting on the side, there's a, there's a way to sort of tone down, like if it's not working, if the startup's not working, there's a way to sort of quietly have that tone down and lean into the other thing. And uh-huh. it's not that obvious that you failed. Uh-huh. Whereas if you're fully in it, uh, there's no hiding, right? So if it, it works, it? that's great. If it doesn't, then, you know, it was a failure and, and move on. And I think sort of upping that level of commitment and intensity is
1: is is important? I I, and, I think it's you know, bang on.
0: I yeah, and, and I I laugh that you know here's Greg, the billionaire telling me that that pain is
1: good and like what do you know about that? <laughs> but, well, but he felt it. You know, he felt it before, right? So I definitely did. And you know what? Look at look at also. I mean, I I, I follow his son because I my kids play hockey, and uh, yeah. you know followed how not only did he succeed in business, but also how his son became a, an NHLer too. Which uh, yeah, you know says a lot about your 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 DNA. I would say.
0: Well, well. I don't know. Yeah. I
1: mean, yeah, there's nature and nurture on that, but
0: I mean, all four of his kids have done really neat things Mm -hmm. um, and they're not, you know, just, they're not the trust fund brat kind of thing. They're hardworking, engaged people who are, you know, doing important stuff, which I think is.
1: Well, I think, I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. Well, I'm going to go the, the the last question of the day, and uh, then let you go on your busy day because I know I know you've got a, a billion things that you do. Um, can you share the name of a Canadian entrepreneurial star or founder that you personally look up to?
0: Sure. Well, I mean, first off, there are a lot uh-huh. of Canadian stars that that I look up to, but when I think about the one. Uh, the first name that comes to mind when you ask that question it's uh, the founder of MDA uh, John or co-founder John McDonald Mm -hmm. and uh, just because he was you know he he was in it for so long and did so much to you know build the space industry um, you know when he was starting there you know there wasn't any path to follow Mm -hmm. and he really did do these big global things his ability to work you know closely with government as well as the the private sector um uh, I thought was was just great and then yeah combination of commitment to business and and community as well as well as public policy uh you know just a pretty neat package and just a just a wonderful person and you know, yeah we had him uh you know he would come by to give lunch and learns at uh back at Pulse Energy as wow. well and helped us to get the company going and you know just a pretty special special fellow
1: well that's incredible that's incredible well david thank you so much for your time today it was it was wonderful chatting and i, I look forward to continuing watching you through your next 10 startups and global <laughs> success with each one of them
0: <laughs> great we we'll look forward to following you too chris and i'm <laughs> looking forward to seeing you in person before too long <laughs> cheers okay thanks a lot
1: ahoy afternoon tea listeners if you got this far i assume you like this episode and that is awesome Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts, too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is p-o-d-c-a-s-t at t-t-t, that is three t's, dot studio. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us social media at ttt underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.